oh, well, the thing is, we're Liverpool are in a final. We don't really make it easy for ourselves. <laughs> um, <laughs> Hello and welcome to the One Football Podcast. I'm your host, Ian McCourt. For Stuttgart to lose one team to relegation may be regarded as misfortune. To lose two teams looks like carelessness, but to lose three teams on the same day, well, that's something else altogether. For a city whose slogan is Stuttgart offers more, they're going to be offering a lot less higher level football come next season. Here to discuss all that and much more besides is Paddy Higgs. Hello. Danny Isroff. How's it going? And a grown man who actually rides a blue and red skateboard to work. That's me. Hi. It, it's Nico Durbin. Hi. Nico, one of the many things I've learned since moving to Germany is that people don't really pussyfoot around with small talk. Why would they? They sort of get straight to the point. Yes. They do, yeah. don't they? Yeah. I mean, Efficiency I'd love to, is the key word here. It is indeed. I mean, I'd love to talk about Paddy's weekend in Prague and all the time he spent in the puzzle rooms. But uh, <laughs> We weren't going to talk about that. Remember? We're not going to talk about yeah. that. No, no. And then his failure to save the world. Yeah. But no, we'll, we'll, we'll move on from it. Um, so let's get straight into Stuttgart. VFB are down. VFB's second team are down. And Stuttgart kickers are down. How is the city feeling today? Well, so, I mean, Stuttgart to kickers is not the biggest surprise, right? Um, their, their biggest success in history is uh, a final in the DFB Pokal in the 70s, right? Since then, second league, third league, back and forth and so on. Um, the biggest surprise is the first team of VfB Stuttgart, I think. And the rest matters now, and it's a good headline, but, you know, that's what actually... Um, the city is about. That, yeah, that's, that, that's the most important one. Maybe you could, for those who missed out, maybe you could just detail what happened on the final day of the, the Bundesliga season. Uh, it was between Frankfurt, Bremen and Stuttgart um, with Frankfurt having the best opportunities to stay in safe, whereas Bremen and Stuttgart were uh, fighting about a relegation playoff uh, position. Um, at the end of the day, you know, um, Bremen proved to be the smartest out of the three teams, um, whereas Frankfurt was the toughest fighting team. Stuttgart's supposed to be the team with the best technical abilities in their squad, but that doesn't save you from relegation. Um, so at the end of the day, Bremen actually won more or less last minute against Frankfurt. So now Frankfurt plays relegation. Bremen stays in yet another year and Stuttgart is going down. Where did it go wrong for them this season? Uh, well, they started off real bad with a new coach, a lot of hope, really naive, offensive, pressing football, which was exciting. Like the first friendly of the season, they, they won 4-2 against Man City at home with like 30,000 people watching a friendly, right, preseason. Sorry, against Manchester City? Yes. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but then but then they lost the first five matches. Um, there was a lot of pressure. The the risky football Zorniga um, likes to play was questioned a lot. They were unlucky with injuries. Um, and they just they don't have the depth in their team to to um, substitute those those injuries. Um, they changed coach. It went up. They were they were kind of looking at a, a one digit position in the in the table, um, and I think then they just felt too safe, and that was mid second part of the season, right? People were talking about um, 
Europa League all of a sudden because it's at the end it's Stuttgart right that's where the fans want to go Europa League and we're three points behind Wolfsburg or something like that right and then I think it was it was two points in the last 10 matches of the season five consecutive losses to end up a season and then you just deserve to go down I'm sorry I mean it's it's my team and there are different definitely two different ways of me commenting on that but the more objective one is they deserve it. Are they going to bounce back up? Of course. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like it said more in hope than any sort of, uh, that there's real thought behind it. it it's hard to say because they do have the players. They they signed new contracts with their captain, Christian Gentner. Um, they signed a new contract with Daniel Ginczek, who is their biggest hope on a, successful striker at the same time he's injured currently and he was injured almost all season um and then it's really i think at the end it's not the coach or the manager scoring the goals next season but they need um a direction and that's set top down so they need a new president they need a new manager they need a new coach so if if they don't find a new head and a new brain for the whole team strategy then they're going to stay in the second league so question for you nico you're talking a little bit about the the management and the and the structure uh, and it's really surprising because there's some big names down there at the bottom of the bundesliga both the teams that are the, that are going down and the and and uh Werder bremen who are safe um, do you think there's a there's a common theme here of, of bigger teams struggling to stay in the Bundesliga or is it just sort of a one-off coincidence? Yeah, yeah, certainly. Um, if you look at the all-time table of the Bundesliga, um, I mean, Bayern is number one, no discussion. But then you have Bremen on second, you have HSV on third, um, Dortmund on fourth and Stuttgart on fifth, right? Those are the five biggest teams all-time Bundesliga. And HSV, Bremen and Stuttgart, three of them, have been playing against relegation in the last five years. At the same time, you have Mainz, clearly the, the biggest surprise and for me the most exciting team in the Bundesliga in the last five years, um, playing Europa League again, right? Without the money, without the big sponsors backing them. So I think there was some sort of a change a couple of years ago where... Um, Those older teams um, didn't have players anymore that were as hungry, right? It was too comfortable. Um, there was an era where they could bet on being, uh, they could bet on finishing between second and eighth every year, right? And that was just fine. Um, but then coaching got more scientific there were coaches all of a sudden who could make a difference without being professionals and world cup winners th themselves um and it was more a game of um complex strategy all of a sudden and that's i think when those teams um lost their position and their standing in the league and that's off and on the pitch i think um Absolutely. you know uh, you look at the way that teams like Haasfall um Stuttgart um have spent their money it hasn't been wisely so uh, you know the money in the bundesliga the traditional money in the bundesliga has not always come with sense yeah now i mean sorry ian um hamburg finished 10th this year right and that's a success for them they're happy about that 
I get that. I would be happy if Stuttgart would have finished 10th. But at the end of the day, it was not a good season of Hamburg. Like They had a couple of good matches, but the rest was shocking to watch. Yeah, and they spent too much money to, to be sitting there, to be honest. And there's still one game to play. Well, one game in Germany to be played, which is going to be played this weekend. It's the Pokal final. It's Dortmund. It's Bayern. How do we see this panning out? The Mats Hummels farewell match, of course. <laughs> so his, his last match for Dortmund will, will be against Bayern and his first match for Bayern is likely to be against Dortmund. So uh, this is what tends to happen. Um, it's going to be a terrific uh, way to see off this season. I mean, it always is when these two teams um, meet. Um, Dortmund fans really, really want this. Um, particularly because of the Hummels stuff over the last couple of weeks. But it's going to be really difficult for them as well. I think Bayern, after you know falling out of the, the Champions League, um, they obviously had the league stitched up a couple of weeks ago. Um, they will be very conscious not to end this season on a bad note, and Guardiola in particular. Well, for, many, for many in Germany, Guardiola failed, right? Yeah, we spoke about this, I think, was it last week or two weeks we had a bit of a talk about this last week. So I don't know if, if a win against Dortmund, like... You said that the Dortmund players are really hungry, and I think so too. So while Bayern is stronger on paper, I think that the Dortmund players will really go over the fight and over the tackles, and it's it's going to be really tough. And I don't think that a win for Bayern and Guardiola um, is worth as much as a win for Dortmund, Tuchel and their squad. Correct. Is now my time to air my beef with the Bundesliga or should we do this another time? You can do it any time you want. You are the one with the golden microphone here. Well, so. that is true, yeah. yeah. I just feel like it's a one-horse town, the Bundesliga. So that doesn't hold much interest for me. We we know we knew in August who was going to win. We know from now who's going to win the Bundesliga next year. Seems yeah. seems like, the. I mean, we talk about the, the, the quality in the big teams going down, but it's a lack of quality at the top too. But I, I think the thing is, it's not just unique to the Bundesliga at the moment. I think that's kind of the way modern football is, is it becomes more and more entrenched with the money. I mean, if you look at some other leagues, France is, is a foregone conclusion. I think Italy is a foregone conclusion as well. Um, except England. Except England. And they're, they're, I mean, we can. that's a whole other discussion, I think. But I think England is where the other leagues, oh, for example... The Bundesliga was a couple of years ago in, in terms of that disruption and bigger teams falling down in the league and, and the table and so on. Yeah, I, I would agree with that a little bit. I think Bayern have, have, have forged on like the big tank that Bayern is um, and, and clubs like Stuttgart and, and, and Haasfeld have fallen away of their, of, as they've failed to adapt and I think English clubs have probably managed to do that a bit better. The scrutiny is a bit higher of course as well and um, there's probably four or five clubs there that really do have designs on winning the title as opposed to finishing second or third in an honourable place. Um, I, I disagree to a large extent there and I think as we know mathematically the Bundesliga title wasn't stitched up for a while um, of course it was Bayern's for, for quite some time um, but I do think that you know um, Dortmund at least have aspirations to change it um, and uh, there won't be a lot of uh, Wolfsburg as well potentially to an extent um, and it will be Bayern's for a few seasons to come but um, they do want to change that Well Germany's not the only place with a cup final this weekend is it Danny? No, there's France. A, another country, yes. There is another country out there, you're aforementioned France, where Marseille are surely going to lose to PSG, right? Surely, and it's actually kind of sad, the, the, the gap that's developed between the, the two clubs. I mean, Marseille are a, a massive 
club both on the uh, on the domestic and the the continental stage and uh to see how far they've fallen while at the same time looking at uh just how how big of a gap has developed between PSG and the rest of France it's yeah I'd, I'd say it's a little sad for 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 football in the country where did marseille end up this season they ended in the bottom half uh they were safe from relegation in the end but um definitely but only, but only just uh, on, only just in the last few weeks and it's going to be Ibra's last game too it will be although if you watched uh, PSG's <laughs> last game against Nantes you may be forgiven for thinking that that you, was the last time he will ever play football ever you have to tell people who missed this what happened because it was amazing well yeah it was incredible i mean basically PSG pulled out all the stops literally stop stopping the game in the 10th minute to uh, to 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 give uh, Zlatan a, a standing ovation Zlatan then scored in the 89th minute to break the the PSG record for for goals in a single season he invited his kids onto the pitch uh, with with the names King and Legend on the back of their PSG shirts, and then promptly walked off the pitch before the game was over, leaving his team with ten men because they'd already made all three substitutions. Um, it was, it, it, I mean, it basically almost descended into farce at the end. <laughs> I, just, I, I have to say, I enjoyed it. Uh, he's great, but it's, uh, you know, this is a professional game. It's uh, questionable. It's a bit of a circus, isn't it? I mean, I, I just I was thinking about this this morning. If Cristiano Ronaldo, who has spent longer at a club than, than Zlatan has. If he'd done anything similar to that, everyone would have, you know, been in uproar. But because it's Zlatan and he has this Twitter handle that he calls himself by the third person and he's sometimes, you know, takes the piss out of himself, it's okay, you know, it's okay. And but I disagree with that a little bit. See, this, the problem is that Ronaldo takes himself too seriously. Ibra, there's a hint of fun to it. And if there's a hint of fun to it, you can get away with a lot more than you can if you take yourself too seriously. You also think with Cristiano Ronaldo, that's the person he is in private. Sure. Right? The way you see him in public. Whereas with Slatan, it's Slatan in public and another person in private, probably. I don't know. I mean, and that's what artists do. Yeah, I agree. But I don't think we should... I, I, it just, it was too much for me. Uh, I, I, I do. I, I'm with you in that camp just to play the other side a little bit it, it was a game uh with with no um implications in the table for either side and and the thing you have to consider which which people were pointing out he he is the greatest player in club history and probably the, the greatest player who's going to be there for a while so if you think about it more on the scale of say if you're looking at real madrid di stefano rather than than cristiano ronaldo yeah. i mean he's then then the what he's done for the club is just immense and and i think they wanted to again i think it was too much that's my personal opinion i, I think there's a way to do it that would have been more appropriate for a, a real professional game in a professional league but um it, it, if seeing it from their perspective a little bit he is basically he's god in paris he's, yeah he but is. i mean it's it's four seasons you you, you brought up the stefano he had twice as many more than twice as many as that and contributed to the whole fabric and history of the club and and you know let's be honest zatan's only there because of the money you know um if if someone else had been paying more at that time he would have gone there as well and i'm not that's definitely not uh, a criticism of his but i think it's four seasons it's not like he's been there for 24 Danny, can you give Marseille any hope at all for the final? Uh, no, very little. I mean, they, they've they've sort of recovered a little bit uh, since since they they fired their manager and uh, Franck Passy, who's a, a former player, has come in and 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 done an okay job relative to you know how poorly they'd been they'd been doing under uh, Michel. 
but um, the the gap is just too big. I mean, it's a, it's a different level of team. They they've basically made it to the final playing exclusively lower league teams, so they they really shouldn't be there. Okay, so after the final comes the Euros. Uh, France announced their squad last week. There was no Karim Benzema, of course, no Hadim Ban Arfa, much to Danny's disappointment. <laughs> <It's> very <laughs> sad. <laughs> but in more positive news, there was also no Mad- Mamadou Sako. Uh, Danny, were you surprised Ben Arfa didn't make it in the end? You know what I wasn't. Um, he's he's had a great season, and basically it came down to him or uh, Kingsley Coman for for the last spot in the in the in the group of six attackers. And if you look at it from uh, from the France manager Didier Deschamps' perspective, uh, it, you had a choice to take uh, a younger player, give him experience, someone who's who's had a terrific season. Uh, making an impact from the bench, which is uh, w- which is the role that that this sixth attacker will play, um, and also the 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 issue is with Hatem Ben Arfa and his history in the dressing room. You know, if you can bring in a, a young player who's hungry, who wants to, you know, who's never going to cause any any problems in the dressing room, versus someone like Hatem Ben Arfa, which is a you know obviously a bit of a risk. Uh, y- you can easily see why uh, Deschamps went for. Uh, Kingsley Como. Did you say there were six attackers in the squad? There are, yeah, six uh, six forwards. Yeah, seems a bit imbalanced. Yeah, I would say so. I mean, the the imbalance with the France squad is basically that they have these tremendous groups of uh, of midfielders and and of attacking players, uh, and the defense, let's say, is is less world class in terms of the the names that are going to be on the team sheet. Basically. They they could withstand say an injury to an attacking player or uh, you know whatever the case may be if if uh, the right back uh, Bakary Sanya gets injured who he almost got injured at the weekend if anyone was watching Man City uh, the next in line is uh, Christophe Chalet who's not nearly on the same level so I think if France are going to fail anywhere uh, it's it, it's going to be at the back it's going to be conceding goals are they still favourites for you. Yeah, they have to be. I, I, I mean, if, if you look at the squad, I think they have arguably the best squad, if not the best squad, definitely one of the best squads. And, and as we know, playing at home in these major tournaments is just such an advantage. I think they have to be considered favourites. Download One Football, the most comprehensive football app in the world. Now, 20 minutes before Manchester United's final game of the season was supposed to kick off, Old Trafford was evacuated and the match was abandoned after a suspect device was found in the ground. Joining us on the line to talk about that is Sam Peoples from the Manchester United blog, The People's Person. Sam, what's the latest on all that? Um, Well, it's all a bit of a a shambles that United have unfortunately found themselves in this situation because what it's turned out to be is a third-party security firm was hired by a separate company, and this company wanted to train their sniffer dogs. So they hired out Old Trafford as the venue, and they placed 14 devices inside Old Trafford. And then the sniffer dogs went around and sniffed them out. And when the security firm, it was their job to make sure the inventory was complete, they signed off and said all 14 devices have been taken out of Old Trafford. But they missed one, and it was left inside the 100 Club, which is part of our executive suites. Uh, and on the match day, uh, a manager from the 100 Club found this device. And, well, you obviously saw what unfolded. I'm guessing by that point, they probably knew it was this device that got left behind, but it's not the sort of risk you can take. So it was a case of um, evacuating 
all of Old Trafford. Uh, it, it started off with the because uh, it was found in the northwest quadrant of the Stretford end. So they evacuate, evacuated the Stretford end and the St. Alex Ferguson stand. So you had a really weird situation where the whole of the East stand was in and then two stands were completely empty. Then the whole of Old Trafford got evacuated and the game got abandoned. It's probably cost United about, I think, three and a half million. I think that's what they've said. Because what they've done is they've refunded all the tickets from that game and gave everybody free entry for the game tonight, which is the rescheduled game. And it's really not helped United because uh, we've got the FA Cup final on Saturday. Sam, uh, the security firm, who have they blamed this on? Uh, interns or the dogs for not picking up that package at all? Uh, where's the blame lie? Um, the, the manager's pretty much put his hand up and said, yeah, I've ballsed up here. Please don't hurt me. <laughs> It's a bit like United season, the manager ballsing up. Yeah, but the manager hasn't accepted the blame. He blames everyone else. <laughs> <laughs> now, I know you weren't there, but a lot of people uh, who write for the People's Person were. What was the atmosphere like? How did the, how did the fans react? It was a, it was a very strange situation. Uh, Leo has uh, written kind of a first-person account of what happened. And it was, um, nobody really knew what was going on at the time. And the stewards dealt with it you know superbly well you know the positive out of all of this is that if that situation was to arise um it looks like United could cope with it extremely well but at the time there were stewards who didn't really know know what was going on uh the fans were sort of sitting there confused as to what was happening that everyone's getting ushered out very quickly but you know it could have been a lot worse than it was in terms of the panic that was caused among fans there was a lot of crowds going out because obviously 50,000 people walking out of exits at the same time uh, when it's not full-time, it, it's a strange situation. So I feel like it could have been a lot, lot worse than it was, and I, feel, I thought it was dealt with very well. Uh, moving on from that, of course, there were reports in France last night that Ibrahimovic has been offered a one-year contract at United, but that he has reportedly asked the club for guarantees as well as the name of the next season manager. What do you make of all this? Is there is there any truth behind it? Uh, well, the journalist behind the story is uh, Mohamed Bahassi, uh, who's built himself a pretty firm reputation. He was the journalist behind the Anthony Martial to Manchester United story. He was the first person to report it. Also also reported uh, Angel Di Maria to Manchester United and also reported Di Maria to PSG. So uh, in terms of transfer rumours, there's a lot of people online that you just ignore. But when Mohamed Bahasi pipes up, you listen. Uh, and that's the sort of the case with Ibrahimovic. He's saying that... It's going to be a one-year offer with a potential to extend for a year. Uh, if you remember under Fergie, we never gave anybody over 30 more than a one-year rolling contract. That was sort of Fergie's way. Obviously, things have changed since then. And whether or not Mourinho comes in is another is another ball game altogether. But you've seen in the last 48 hours, um, at the same time as this Ibrahimovic story, only if Mourinho's in charge. Uh, the Telegraph reporting this morning from James Ducker saying that uh, David De Gea is likely to stay at Manchester United, but only if Jose Mourinho is in charge, which sounds like it's been ghostwritten by Jorge Mendes, because um, obviously nothing's firmly agreed behind the scenes with Mourinho. And this is just another way to exert some pressure. But if you ask me who I'd rather have next season, Louis van Gaal or Ibrahimovic, Mourinho and De Gea, I think that's pretty much a rhetorical question. <laughs> <laughs> um, getting back to, as you mentioned before, United are playing in the in the FA Cup final this weekend against Crystal Palace, a rerun of the, the 1991. Um, the obvious question is, with United now unlikely to earn themselves a, a top four spot, would lifting the FA Cup be enough to keep Van Hal in a job next season? Not even in the slightest chance. Again, I think it's rhetorical that he's gone. Um, 
if you, you've seen Wigan lift the FA Cup, you've seen Portsmouth lift the FA Cup, anybody can string together an FA Cup uh, performance. And United have finally done it this year. We haven't won it in over a decade and fans would be delighted if we do win. But, you know, Man United, you, you don't measure success at Man United on domestic trophies. It's about the league and it's about the Champions League. They're the that's where Man United are aiming towards. And, you know, Lou Van Hal sold us a story last season, if you remember his end of season uh, speech at the Player Awards. Uh, he was he was very drunk and he was very animated saying, you know, we were very close this season. Next season we'll be back. And he was getting everyone fired up and he, he had us believing. And in the start of the uh, season, in his pre-match programme notes before the Spurs game, he was saying, you know, we can challenge for the title this year. And we're not. And... I think that's what you've got to measure his success on, on this, this process and philosophy that fans have been sold for three years. We saw progress up until November, but since then it's been a downward slippery slope and fans have lost belief in him and it looks like the players have as well. How do you expect him to uh, to set up a side on Saturday? Uh, I expect us to be pretty much how we've been attacking recently has been refreshing. We've got Marcus Rashford and Anthony Martial been leading the lines. Um, I'm not really sure who's going to play in midfield because against West Ham and Herrera was awful. Uh, Schneiderlin was pretty poor too. So tragically, I think Michael Carrick is our best midfielder still. Um, and he's, he can't run. Uh, Schweinsteiger is injured. So I, I'm not sure who's going to play in midfield. I think our attack is pretty much sorted. We'll play with uh, Rashford up top with Martial on the left and Lingard on the right. Um, and maybe Matter will drop into a more central role with Rooney. I'm not really sure. I don't really like Rooney in midfield, but He's kind of uh, forcing Rooney into the team, so he has to play midfield. Why? Uh, a lot of people really seem to like Rooney in midfield. Why are you so sceptical about it? He's. Have you seen his first touch? I think <laughs> I have a better first touch than Wayne Rooney in midfield. <laughs> it, for, for all his, um, if, if you if you watch Rain, Wayne Rooney um, and you love playing FIFA, then you'll really enjoy watching Wayne Rooney in central midfield because he's always looking for. He's always looking up. He's always looking for the Hollywood. And against West Ham, he pulled off pretty much all of them. But you'll never see Wayne Rooney intricately passing between nice, short, short, succinct passes, quick movement, opening the space up for himself like Scholes did. And he's he's been heralded as a potential new Scholes, but he doesn't play anything like Scholes. He always looks for far too ahead. He, he's he's never spatially aware of where his teammates are around him in a in a in a close vicinity. He's always looking for that that diagonal, and sometimes it works. But that's not a central midfielder. Okay, a quick uh, a quick prediction before we let you go. Uh, for the FA Cup final, I think United are clear favourites here, but it's an FA Cup final. We know that anything can happen in finals. I think quite an important thing will be whether Wilfred Zaha plays, because I think him and Balassi are, are Crystal Palace's two focal points. So hopefully Zaha's banned, but I'm going to go for a typical United 1-0, nil nil at half-time, Martial will score and we'll lift the cup 1-0. That was Sam Peoples from The People's Person. Hey Paddy, one of the things we didn't get to talk about with Sam was Marcus Rashford making it into the Provisional England squad. Yeah, I think, uh, to be honest, a lot of people would be surprised if he did make the final squad. I think it's dependent on a lot of injuries. I think the, the biggest surprise for me was, I'm well, not the biggest surprise, the biggest talking point for me was was Jack Wilshere. What a um, terrible decision that was. Three three games this season, is that right? Yeah. Um, I mean, it was interesting that, I was talking about this with Nico last night, that um, you know uh, Roy Hodgson really went and, and, and sort of 
made sure he was there at the game on the weekend when Wilshere started and was at the minute after Wilshere was subbed Hodgson left so he's got a real he's got a real love you know uh, love affair with with the idea of Wilshere being his number one midfielder I don't get it there's so many better midfielders and fitter midfielders out there and more informed midfielders out there than Wilshere why take him but I, I think the thing is it's a, it's a player he trusts and that he's been able to rely on it's basically the same reason why Townsend's in the in the 26, it's a player who's performed for England over the years, who Hodgson really knows well and really trusts. And I think his idea is to 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 give him the chance to show whether or not he's fit, and if he's fit, take him to the Euros. Anyone surprised at Walcott not being there? <laughs> no, not at all. I mean, I was just sort of thinking about the, the, yeah, comparing this England squad to the to the Germany squad. There's just no comparison. There is just no comparison. I think England might be lucky to be a quarter-final team at this tournament. Um, I just don't see them going anywhere. Uh, back in October when Liverpool went nine games with just one win under the belt and Brendan Rodgers lost his job, few Liverpool fans could have imagined that by the end of the season they would be one game away from a European trophy. Nina Kaiser from Anfield Index joins us on the line to talk about that. Nina, what's been the difference under Klopp? Is it a tactics thing or a, a simple case of better man management? I think it's a combination of both. I think what you've really noticed with Jurgen Klopp is that uh, Liverpool finally have a manager who's able to take on the big teams and the big managers. You know, even in the domestic league, you saw him against Manchester City scalpin twice, uh, Chelsea, Jose Mourinho. He's not afraid to take on the big teams. Uh, if you flip back to, say, somebody like Brendan Rodgers, he, he almost had this um, uh, fear factor or, you know, he was almost intimidated by these big managers. But um, with Jurgen Klopp, what you instantly notice is he wants to feel connected with the club uh from that, it'll be uh, his connection with the players. You see that they genuinely want to play with him. And that's something that I've always admired from afar when he was at British Dortmund. Those players would run through brick walls for him. And to have that kind of manager at your club, it's, it's quite a privilege. And you definitely see performances have gone up. Players that were out of favour with Liverpool fans, such as Yudejan, Lovren, Lalanas, seem to change the you know, change the attitude of these fans that were doubting them. It's it's phenomenal what he's done. Absolutely remarkable. And to think he's not spent a penny in the transfer window. He's only been in charge for 51 games at Liverpool, which just kind of demonstrates how many games he's actually prepped this squad for. And to see us in two finals, this is the second one, it's just um, exceptional. Would you, would you agree, Nina, that at the end it boils down to emotions and trust with Klopp? Yeah, I, I definitely think that has a part to play. I think uh, one of the criticisms that uh, a lot of Liverpool fans or certainly people who followed Liverpool had for Brendan Rodgers was too many players were thrown under a bus um, when you know they made an error in, in, in a game and it would be present to the media. You know, you'd know, you hear it in a post-match interview. Uh, Jurgen Klopp certainly protects his players and because he does that and you know, if there is any you know telling off, it's done you know back of house and he really sort of gives these players like you know, you are important to me. You are vital, and even the kids. You know, he's it's it's not even with the senior team. He's integrated a lot of these youngsters, and he's just let them be part of this squad. I mean, I'll give you a classic example. Uh, Divock Origi uh, played for Jurgen Klopp's first game against Spurs, and he, you know, he had a terrible game. You know, let's call a spade a spade. You know, he was failing to get into the channels. You know, he wasn't linking up with the play. Totally ineffective. Jurgen Klopp identified this, took him aside, worked with him on training. And of course, 
he came back in that uh, that League Cup uh, game against uh, Southampton where he got a hat-trick and the players never looked back since and that is man management and sort of telling players that they are vital and important and you know so many you know so many are believing into this uh, philosophy and theory of Jurgen Klopp I think there are a few that look as though they're on their way out I think Christian Benteke is one that's not quite bought into it but I think that's largely down to the style of football that Christian Benteke can play and it's not necessarily compliments what Jurgen Klopp and the rest of the squad want to do. Uh, you mentioned Origi there and he certainly improved but one of the players who I can hardly recognise is uh, Adam Lallana who's been just absolutely mm. brilliant under Klopp. Oh absolutely and you know it's it's funny you say that because last season he was one of my most frustrating players to watch you know given his transfer fee the player that he was supposed to be replacing in in your likes of Luis Suarez and he wouldn't make it past 70 minutes and there's myths around him that you know he, he his fitness levels aren't quite up to peak and he can't really um, last a full 90 but here you see him week in week out playing 90 minutes the great thing about Adam Lallana and why uh, I think Jurgen Klopp loves him so much or you know really trusts him is he's a presser and he, he tried pressing last season as well, but unfortunately, the rest of the team weren't pressing, so it wasn't effective pressing. Now, obviously, Jurgen Klopp has got the entire squad pressing, you know, we press from the back. So we do it in packs that are a bit more efficient and there's a bit more end product. However, of course, um, I will say uh, the things that I really want to improve on is um, maybe getting a fair few more assists and goals. And, you know, that is sort of lacking in in his position because he is an attacking midfielder. But when when he's on, we just look so much more threatening. Looking ahead to tomorrow's uh, Europa League final, how do you think the fans will be feeling? Will they be will they be very positive about it all? Oh, absolutely. I mean, if you if you go back to it, this is our first European final in nine years, and for a club like Liverpool, that's quite shocking to be so absent in Europe. Uh, I think Vafel was the last manager to get us to semi final. Uh, Five, uh, five, uh, six years ago, yes, six years ago, 2010, we lost to um, Atletico Madrid. Uh, the fans are really excited. There's a feel good factor about uh, in the city amongst all Liverpool fans globally. And I think the biggest thing here is uh, Liverpool fans don't feel like their season's over, which was so, you know, which, which was such a common theme amongst Liverpool fans, albeit we had that great season two years ago where we almost won the league. But this time last year, you know, Liverpool fans felt that really dejected. Uh, they were almost shocked as to what they were witnessing. You know, the season's over. There's still one game to play. Uh, the, the game has so much riding on it. Of course, if they do it, Jurgen Klopp gets his first trophy. Um that monkey's off his back and more importantly Champions League football and also these youngsters have not tasted success of winning a trophy and I think that is massive in terms of the development and how they progress uh, with Liverpool. How do you think Klopp will set up his side for the final? I think the thing that I'm really excited about is or the news that I've heard is uh, Divock Origi um, has travelled with the squad and uh, obviously, uh, as you know, he is a great uh, number two for Daniel Sturridge. So I think tactically, uh, you know, there's two strikers there that will cause that severe defence a lot of problems. I think he's going to pretty much line up uh, his usual uh, 4-2, 3-1 uh, sort of system. I think he's going to go with the usual. I think it's going to be Colo Torre, Dejan Lovren, Mignolet, Nets. I think his full-backs will be Nathaniel Klein right-back, Moreno at left-back. I think his two central midfielders will be James Milner and Emre Jan. However, I'd probably prefer Alan over Milner, but Jurgen Klopp seems to really like uh, Milner. I've kind of 
I see what Milner does, but I prefer him more in wide positions. I don't really like him centrally. And I think the, the trio will be uh, Firmino as a 10, Coutinho and Lalana, And I think he'll start with Daniel Sturridge. And then once, you know, he feels the need to make a tactical change, I think Divo Carigi might feature at some point. And I think he could cause an absolute nightmare for um, th- their centre-backs because uh, I think we will press them and I think that's how we win the game. If we press them and I think if we don't let them settle into the game, I think they become quite nervous and they can't settle into the game. Before we let you go, can you give us a quick prediction? Oh, well, the thing is, when Liverpool are in a final, we don't really make it easy for ourselves. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful and I'm optimistic. Um, it's going to be 3-1 to Liverpool. That was Nina Kauser from Anfield Index. Paddy, would you be as positive if you were a Liverpool fan? It's interesting. I, I, I really think that sometimes English fans uh, live in a bit of a bubble when it comes to European football. I'm certainly not saying that Nina you know, is in that is in that um, in that boat. Um, but it's I'd be interested to know just how much a lot of the average Liverpool fans know about this Sevilla side. Um, you know, this is a side that has two cup finals this week. You know, it's a really, really good side. Guys like Kevin Gamero, we all know about how well he's played in this in this competition this season. So I'm, I'm, I'd be really interested to know, um, you know, what Liverpool fans do know about Sevilla because they're a real danger for Liverpool. Absolutely. Interesting thing about Sevilla, they've actually really struggled away from home this year, and I think that could that that combined with the the, the other cup final could really uh, play into Liverpool's hands. Um, I just want to go back to Klopp uh, uh, on one quick note. Uh, the interesting thing is he, results-wise, in the league, it hasn't been that that different from Brendan Rodgers. Uh, I mean, he, he, when he took over, they were they were 10th, I think, and now they've finished 8th. Um, and you have to sort of wonder, you know, how difficult it will be for Liverpool to break into the top six or, 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 or so sides in the Premier League next season. I think it could be really interesting. That's That's what I meant with trust before, right? He just has that charm that charisma and that's mm. really important and whatever decision he he takes right it feels consistent and thought through and now he he's about to lift his first trophy with liverpool so the hope is is completely right okay that's all from us today my thanks to paddy danny nico sam nina and our producer damien go to itunes subscribe to the podcast while you're there rate the podcast and you might as well download the one football app too you can also hit us up on twitter facebook and soundcloud at one football thanks for listening I love-